Welcome to Elemental Energy, the podcast where we discuss how to simplify decarbonization. Here, we will introduce emerging low-carbon energy technologies and give you insight on how to navigate and support the evolving energy landscape. It is our goal to develop content to give you confidence to help transition the market and make low-carbon energy reliable and affordable. I'm your host, Marsha Leonard. On this week's episode, we are going to be talking about one of my favorite energy transformation topics, hydrogen. So before I even get started introducing the episode, I want to hit you off with the conclusion of continuing to focus on green hydrogen production. Currently right now, to produce green hydrogen, it's five times more expensive than that of gray hydrogen or blue hydrogen, which I'm going to break down further. But you're literally paying close to five times more for a hydrogen molecule than you would for it being derived from other sources. So the reason I want to talk about this right off the bat is if you take away anything from this, is that hydrogen is in a huge technological advancement leap right now. And if we want to be serious about supporting climate change, and if we want to be serious about developing new alternative technologies, we've got to remain focused on green hydrogen. So in this week's episode, I'm going to talk about the uses and applications of hydrogen currently, how it's derived, including the color spectrum, where the market currently is sitting today, and what hydrogen has in common with fracking. So let's get started. Hydrogen is, at its basic, the most abundant molecule in the world. If you go back to your days of chemistry and you look at your periodic table, it's the smallest molecule out there, and it's been widely used for quite a long time. Hydrogen has actually been used as a fuel source since the 1800s in lamps. NASA is still using hydrogen fuel cells as the basis for their deep outer space missions and working on their space stations. They use them as part of their water purification systems. NASA was one of the ones who actually pioneered some of the hydrogen fuel cell technologies. And even going back into the 1960s, General Motors created a hydrogen van. It was called the Electrovan, which is kind of a, a different and controversial name. But there have been hydrogen cars out there for a while. Now, what makes hydrogen so appealing is the fact that it is a very high-density energy source. A prime example I can give is that hydrogen actually has about three times the energy concentration as that of gasoline. So, for example, one kilogram of hydrogen is equivalent to the energy output of three kilograms of gasoline. So it's super potent and it is a great energy and fuel source. So other applications that we have been using hydrogen for is mainly surrounding the industrial side. Like we have hydrogen in steel making, in concrete, and 
why they need hydrogen is because it helps reach the thermodynamics that need to actually create those materials. It takes a lot of heat and you can't electrify the process. So hydrogen is a really good high heat, clean fuel source to help in that industrial space. Hydrogen is utilized in fertilizers. They use it to create synthetic ammonia and manufacture nitrogen fertilizers, which everybody thank your farmers who grow your food because this is typically what they are using on large scale crops is a hydrogen based nitrogen ammonia fertilizer. And another really important use for it is in hydro cracking which we actually use the hydrogen to process and break down petroleum molecules. So let's get a little bit nerdy here for a second. Like petroleum products are derived from long carbon chains. So you think of like really long chains as the thick stuff like tar, and then you start breaking it down, breaking it down, breaking apart those carbon chain molecules. I want to say like carbon 36 is like tar and then as you go further down and refine it you get lighter fuels such as gasoline and jet fuel but what they use hydrogen for is called hydrocracking which helps break down those petroleum molecules so gasoline kerosene all broken down with the use of hydrogen through hydrocracking as you're seeing there are a lot of industry applications for hydrogen and i'm just touching the surface. There's glass making, pharmaceuticals, it's used in semiconductors. It's widely used. So you could tell why it's really important where we derive the hydrogen from needs to be a clean source. I'm going to go over hydrogen production methods here shortly, but it's very important that we start finding a cleaner way of producing the hydrogen to support all these industrial applications. Now, applications we're trying to bolster support right now in order to really further refine and hit the emission reductions through hydrogen is steel and concrete. That is a huge one. If we could utilize green hydrogen or blue hydrogen in this case, it would take approximately 8% of global emissions comes from steel and concrete production alone. That's massive. So imagine if we did start using green hydrogen in that process. Secondly, where we really want to bolster is in the transportation space, specifically long-haul transportation, such as aviation, maritime, and then eventually we're going to be looking into public transportation. There are already hydrogen public transportations out there. 18-wheelers, that's another really big source that we want to start diving into bolstering long-haul transportation to be driven off of hydrogen. Personal vehicles, they're already available as hydrogen fuel cell vehicles. Toyota, Hyundai, they have versions of hydrogen fuel cells vehicles, but actually Toyota doesn't only have a hydrogen fuel cell vehicle, they also have a hydrogen combustion vehicle. I digress. I, I really want you guys to think of the concept that all of the battery and the electrical infrastructure that we've had to put in place in order to support personal vehicles, that's been a long time coming. And it took a while to get that infrastructure in place to support the EVs that we now have. 
think about that scale and hydrogen. So refocusing our efforts on the long haul transportation is where they're really seeing the hydrogen to support. And then last but not least is the replacement of natural gas in heating purposes and power generation. Like there are long-term goals for people to even want to replace natural gas home heating with hydrogen. I know the UK is currently undergoing a couple of studies and they're trying to put like a community in place to see if they would adapt this kind of mindset. But where I'm really excited is actually blending natural gas and hydrogen in some of these natural gas plants. A prime example is Agam Beach Energy actually have a conversion. It's called the Intermountain Power Project, where they're taking a coal-fired facility to natural gas turbines with the ability to run off of combined hydrogen natural gas, which right now it's like they're thinking 30% at the startup of it. But by 2045 is they want to go 100% hydrogen in this power generation facility, which would take a huge load off of the fossil fuel emissions associated with power generation. So I'm extremely excited to see the blending of hydrogen with natural gas in order to help lessen the load and the need for that natural gas component for power generation. And then an even cooler fact about the IPP or the Intermountain Power Project is they have a large scale um, storage facility, which is a salt dome associated with it where they can store their hydrogen. So it's going to take the intermittency and reliancy of that power plant and just amplify it. So this is happening now. There are feasibility studies out there. Like I said, they want to have first power by 2024 with that 30% hydrogen blend. And this is, it's happening fast because there are several companies that have announced net zero plans, like large utility players, like Duke, Dominion, Southern Company, A. They see the need of decarbonizing the power generation space, and hydrogen is one of the most applicable processes to do that, along with nuclear. But that were two separate things, but totally the same kind of powerful energy transformation possibility. So hydrogen production. Wow. Okay. The color spectrum, when I first got into it, I was like, oh, wow, this is a rainbow of hydrogen because it spans from white to turquoise and orange and everything in between. But what the color spectrum is saying is it's not saying that that is the color of the hydrogen. It's gas. It's clear. It's all the same color, all the same molecule. But white is naturally occurring. Black is derived from coal. Gray comes from methane or natural gas without the carbon capture component. And then blue comes from natural gas with carbon capture utilization and storage component. Green comes from electrolysis. So going back to that same chemistry course is hopefully you guys had the opportunity to see where you took a battery and placed an anode and cathode in water and you charged it and you got to see the gases separate. That is most basic form is an electrolyzer. And 
green hydrogen, what makes it easy for me to remember green is it comes from green energy sources like that of solar and wind. It has to come from a renewable source generating power to hook onto the electrolyzer, which then produces the hydrogen. Now, we can go so into depth. There's yellow, there's orange, there's turquoise, but right now I really want to focus on blue and green hydrogen because that's where the market is leaning heavily towards to advance. So blue hydrogen, it comes from a process called steam methane reformant. And what they do is they take natural gas and they separate a thermodynamic process and they break apart the hydrogen, which has carbon that's coming off of it as well. They capture that carbon. They can either utilize it by, you know, sequestering it someplace or they sell it. The really good thing about blue hydrogen is there's already a ton of infrastructure that exists and the resource is still relatively abundant. But some of the bad things about blue hydrogen is it really the price fluctuates along with natural gas because it's dependent on natural gas for the production of it. So prime example today, a kilogram of blue hydrogen is $2.80, whereas six months ago, it was about a dollar a kilogram. One of the biggest cons with blue hydrogen is it's still really carbon intensive and the carbon capture utilization component, it's hard to install like after it's been built. So in greenfield and brownfield production, greenfield meaning it's a new asset, brownfield meaning that it's an older asset that you're actually adding on to it. It's really hard to add on to an older asset that didn't already have this plan for it. And then greenfield, it's not super expensive, but it it's still an added price to take on this CCUS component of deriving hydrogen from natural gas. So on top of this, like there have been several companies who are already doing this because you can sell that carbon dioxide. You can sell it to off-takers for oil production. You can sell it to plastics, pharmaceuticals. Like there are a lot of different applications for carbon dioxide. So that's blue hydrogen in a little bit of a nutshell. Green hydrogen eliminates the need for a fossil fuel source altogether. Now, I'm not saying that it's a completely green process because you have to think about the carbon intensities that go into the materials, such as the solar panels, the wind turbines, the blades. I mean, this is still carbon intensive, but you eliminate the emission factor from utilizing a fossil fuel source to derive the hydrogen from. I am still trying to learn all of the differences and nuances about the types of electrolyzers that are out there, but primarily there are two. There is a PEM and there is an alkaline. And at its most basic is from the or the electrolyte in a PEM is solid. And within an alkaline, it's a liquid. And both are processes that split water into gas. It just really depends on your outputs and the project outputs on which you want to apply because water has a lot to do with it, like how hard your water is. If they're very, not, I don't want to say finicky, but the details that go into your electrolyzer selection 
are very in-depth and they are very applicable to geographic location, project specific, um, longevity. I mean, a lot of thought goes into these. Now, one of the cons about green hydrogen is intermittency, but there are amazing studies that are out there in order to help you determine the intermittency that comes from your renewables in order for you to achieve what the industry is calling levelized cost of hydrogen, LCOH. You want to make sure that you have a strong intermittency profile in place in order to get the most money and production out of your electrolyzers. Now, I want to introduce a concept called power to X because green hydrogen is the basics of power to X. It's this amazing concept where we're taking electricity power and turning it into some form of storage. So you could think of power to X as like power to fuel, power to chemicals, power to gas. But overall, green hydrogen is power to X at its most basic and at its finest, because then you can take that hydrogen, you know, convert it into ammonia for storage or um, store it as a compressed state. That's where I really want to segue into why hydrogen is such a big driver for us is because of the storage aspect of it. Hydrogen is seen as a long-term storage option. So there's a couple other long-term storage options out there, like hydro storage, pumped hydro storage, and then there is gravity energy storage, and hydrogen is being seen as that long-term. You think of batteries, which are a medium-term storage option, and it's not the same as we take hydrogen to a new level by being able to transport it a little bit more easily, having it sit longer than a battery, having a discharge. It's just a better storage option. Now, I'm not saying that it's the best option because honestly, right now, storing hydrogen is one of the most difficult things that we are seeing to support it as a storage option. That's very counterintuitive, but I want to go into that a little bit further to help you understand that we store it in several different ways. We can store it as compressed gas, as liquid, we can store it cryogenically, and then there's this really cool thing where they're starting to store it as a solid. This is a huge breakthrough right now. Like, uh, I, I want to go through it before I go into the other storage methods. So, when I mention later how a hydrogen is like that of fracking, it's because our technological advancements are about to boom with hydrogen. A couple of months ago at Deakin University in Australia, they have been perfecting a mechanochemical storage in the form of powder. It's boron nitride powder where they take the hydrogen and they kind of like beat it with these other powdered chemicals and it it compresses and sticks to a powder and it releases through heating that powder. Now this is still a proof of concept, but it it's one that we continue to progress. We pour in different kind of research to it like we could probably get this storage down which will help transportation of hydrogen become much more feasible and a lot less dangerous. Because let's face it, compressed hydrogen in tanks, it 
it takes people who know what they're doing to be able to support it. So storage, you're looking at it as a compression. It's so efficient, but it requires special tanks. Gas leakages occur. And then the energy consumption associated to actually compress it into that tank is massive. And then we get into metal embrittlement as well. Because having hydrogen being the smallest molecule at a high pressure, it starts to actually break through the metal. So we want to store it liquefied as well. Like the the draw of ammonia is that you can actually store it as ammonia, transport it down pipelines, and utilize infrastructure that's already there to support the liquid side of it. But the problem is when you have to go refine it to break the hydrogen back out. That's another energy intense process. So finally, the metal hydrides, that's what I had just mentioned with the Deakin University breaking it down into boron or breaking it down to attach to a boron nitride powder. This is happening more often. Commercial scale and efficiency is still an issue, but it, you know, this is time. This takes time. This takes refinement. And it's not going to happen overnight, but continuing to focus our research efforts in that area is very, very important. One thing I want to give people a perspective of is batteries take a lot of resources and those minerals are so precious. So when you think about what it takes to create a lithium ion battery, a lot of resources going into it. You have, you know, maybe an eight-year lifespan before that battery has been discharged and charged so many times that it starts to not work anymore. Well, the amount of minerals and resources that goes into creating electrolyzers in order to produce green hydrogen, it's a lot less. And the output capacities that you are going to get from these electrolyzers is that much greater than you would compared to that of batteries. So long-term storage in hydrogen versus the medium-term storage in batteries is just a huge draw that we really need to continue to focus that research effort into in order to refine how storage is going to be applied to make hydrogen a long-term storage option. <laughs> now, I'm, I'm getting into the conclusion. Hydrogen, like, fracking. Okay. So everybody laughs when I have this kind of comparison, but for all of my conventional oil and gas folks, you recognize the importance that fracking had on our energy industry and how important it was. And let's go back to a history really quickly. In 1862, that's when fracking actually began. It used to be known as fluid tamping, where they were literally firing projectile casings into shallow surface and watching oil come to the surface. And then 1930s, fracking became like a commercially viable process where they were starting to think about how to utilize it on surface. And then the 1990s happened, baby. And that is when we associated the use of fracking with horizontal drilling and saw the application, and it's been booming ever since. Pun intended. <laughs> so I, I say that because we have seen this beautiful progression of something that has revolutionized the oil and gas industry. And 
it's the same thing that hydrogen is undergoing right now is we're hitting these milestones, these massive technological advancements. And the same thing even happened in solar if we want to green it up a little bit. It's all about continuing to support and pour in research dollars because we see hydrogen as that excellent long-term storage. We need to keep demonstrating that it works and we need to start upscaling our projects for them to reach the economic viability to make that green hydrogen molecule, which is currently five times as expensive as a blue hydrogen molecule, come down in price so we can rely more heavily on green hydrogen. And we need to have continued governmental support in the form of policy implementation. I know it's a fine line to have government step in on issues, but this is definitely one that the government continues and needs to continue funding. The DOE has stepped in, has come up some amazing grants and different kind of tax incentives to support hydrogen projects. Specifically, a lot of it is around blue hydrogen, but green hydrogen is going to become more prevalent as well. And I want to wrap it up with uh, there are a lot of media and markets and news making it sound like hydrogen is the today solution. But going back to the technological advancements is we are still in the development and exploration phase of hydrogen. And I truly believe that we are just scratching the surface of this absolutely amazing elemental energy fuel source. So This was part one of a two-part series where I'm actually going to bring somebody in to help me discuss what the market is doing in the United States today and just take it a little bit deeper because there's so much that we can do with hydrogen. So wrapping us up, stay happy, take a minute to show kindness to somebody and make it known that the smile on your face comes from your heart. And then lastly, stay safe everyone. Thank you all so much for listening today. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe so you're notified every time a podcast is released. Find Elemental Energy on Facebook and connect with me, Marsha Leonard, on LinkedIn. But lastly and most importantly, share this podcast with your family and your friends, especially if you are in the energy industry and you're having an influence on the path of decarbonization. I'm on this journey figuring things out and I want you guys to come along. So the closer I can get to you and the more I can connect with you, the better this show will be and become. 